All right, tonight we're going to talk about being an overcomer. I'll bet you every single person in this room has had things in your life you've had to overcome. Amen? Stuff that you just thought, oh my goodness, I don't... I have to make a conscious decision to win this war. We fight constant battles. And so tonight we're going to deal with being an overcomer. First of all, we need to understand we're to follow our Savior's example, and he was an overcomer. Let's look at John 16, 33. Remember our topic now. It's going to flow all the way through our message John chapter number 16, verse number 33. The Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 16, and verse number 33, says, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have what? Overcome the world. So, He's already set the example. He is an overcomer. Believers, the moment you accept Christ as your personal Savior, are told in the Word of God, you already are overcomers. Go to 1 John chapter number 5. Turn all the way to the back, just, just a little bit before the book of Revelation, to the book of 1 John chapter 5, and look at verses 4 and 5. It isn't that believers are going to be overcomers. In one sense, they already are. And John makes that clear to us here in 1 John 5, in verses 4 and 5. We read this. For whatsoever is born of God, what? Overcometh the world. So if you're born of God, if you're born again, if you're saved, you have already overcome the world in one sense. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that what? Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? So not only is Jesus an overcomer, believers are an overcomer the moment you trust Christ as your Savior. But the Word of God goes on to tell us that being a daily overcomer should be a part of our Christian lifestyle. So let's go to Romans chapter 12. Look at verse number 21. Little old simple verse. This one will be simple to memorize. Last verse of chapter 12. The Apostle Paul telling us about our lifestyle. He talks about in verse 17 that you don't pay back evil. He said you're to be an honest person. And if possible, you should live at peace with everyone. He says in, in verse 19, don't take revenge for yourself and so on. He's talking about the Christian lifestyle in context here. Now look what he says in verse 21. Be not overcome with evil, but, what's the word? Overcome evil with good. So it's it, not only is Jesus an overcomer, not only are we overcomers the instant we accept Christ as our personal Savior, being an overcomer should be also be a part of our daily Christian life because we are not to be overcome by evil, which is surrounding us, but we are to overcome evil with good. 
So it should be a part of our daily life. But there's another aspect to it too. We're promised that we're going to be rewarded if we are overcomers. Turn to Revelation, early, early pages of the book of Revelation where Jesus is writing the seven letters to the seven churches. And then he repeats over and over and over, seven times, he repeats that an overcomer is going to be a rewarded person. Look what he says. We'll start with just verse 7 and we'll read 11. You'll get the idea. Look at verse 7. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that what? Here's the reward. I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is the midst of the paradise of God. Look at verse 11. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. He that what? Shall not be hurt of the second death. So not only is Jesus an overcomer, not only are we overcomers the moment we trust Christ as our Savior, we're guaranteed that we're going to overcome this world, but it should also be a part of our daily Christian walk, Paul says in Romans 12. And here in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, seven times Jesus said, if you're an overcomer, I have a special reward for you. I'm going to reward you. You're going to be rewarded for being an overcomer. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight is being an overcomer. Well, how exactly do we do that? How do we do that? Now, when I was in high school football, I loved football. I was a lousy basketball player. In fact, my coach invited me to leave the team. Now, that's when you know that you're not good in basketball, okay? And I figured, well, then I'll try out for wrestling. And I got pinned twice by a little squirt that was 30 pounds less than me, and he pinned me the first time in five seconds, and then I was mad. I'm going to get him this time. And then he pinned me the second time in four seconds. So I said, okay, I'll find another sport. Okay, so that's when I learned how to play pasture pool. Okay, that's golf. So, but I love football, but yet my freshman year, we didn't win a single game. Everything. Every game lost. Sophomore year, we're going to turn this baby around. Nope, lost every game. Junior year, okay, we got this bull by the horns now. We're going to win. And they even increased the number of games we were able to have by two. Still, we lost every, every single game. Listen, if you're going to overcome, though, guess what you don't do? You don't quit. You hang in there. And senior year, we won six. We lost three and tied one. That's not too bad for a team. In fact, when we won our first game, our city newspaper printed on the front page. They finally won one. <laughs> one, W-O-N, one, O-N-E. Okay. So listen, believers cannot be overcomers without demonstrating growth in the faith that's in their lives. We need faith. Okay, now exactly how do we do that? Well, and what is faith anyway? We're going to talk about that just a little bit. Here's some great Bible verses though, okay? Whatsoever is not of faith is... Okay, here's another famous Bible verse from Hebrews. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Look at the next one. For we walk by faith, not by sight. These are famous verses. Oh, there's hundreds we could show. But just, just these four, here's another one that Jesus said to Peter when he reached out and grabbed him by the wrist in the Sea of Galilee. O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou so he's telling you that doubt is the antithesis of faith. So in other words, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So if we're not going to walk in faith, guess what we're doing? 
It's obvious. The verse is rhetorical. The answer is right there in the verse. And if you're not going to walk in faith before God Almighty, guess what? You can't please God. The verse is telling you that. And if we walk by faith, not by sight, if we don't walk in faith, guess what we're doing? We're stumbling like drunk people. And I grew up around a drunk dad that came home Friday night after gambling away his paycheck. I know what it's like. In fact, he walked in the house one cold night and uh, he and mom started up again. That's why I didn't care if I went to the jungles of Vietnam. It wouldn't have bothered me. I mean, I grew up in Vietnam in my household. So dad comes in the house and there they go to, they go to cussing and fighting with each other. And he steps, we had these hardwood floors and he stepped on a rug and the rug slipped out from underneath him and he went straight down on his belly and I could hear the air leave him. And I'm sitting at the table, so I get up from the table and mom says, where are you going? She was at the table with me. She said, where are you going? I said, well, I'm going to help him to his bed. He said, no, you're not. Sit down right now. She said, I don't care if he sleeps there all night. You leave him right there. And so there's history to that, folks. So I just said, yes, ma'am. Amen. And I just sat down. Mama rules. And then look, oh, loud little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? So if we don't overcome, we can be grappled by doubts. And doubts is not a faith. Doubts is just the opposite. So let's talk about it. There are actually, before we get into overcoming, what it means to overcome as Christians, first we've got to talk a little bit about faith. And so I want you to understand there's three different kinds of faith. Three different kinds. You use them all in your life. At least if you're saved, you've used all of them. Okay? And uh, if not, you may have only used one. If you're here tonight and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you probably only used one of the three. So let's talk about them. First, there's living faith. Second is saving faith. And third is proving faith. They are three different kinds of faith. And not always when the word is used in the Bible is it referring to all three. Many times when the word is used, it is referring to a specific type of faith that should be in our life. And so, first, living faith. Now, living faith is an everyday faith. This is the one, even if you're unsaved, I promise you, even the, the biggest, meanest atheist in the world lives by that kind of faith. The second kind of faith is saving faith, okay? And that is passive. That's what's known as passive faith. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to go get it. It's waiting for you. All you have to do is ask for it. It's there. The third kind of faith is active faith. This is the kind that we should exercise as Christians from the day we get saved. Okay, so let's talk about these three faiths. First, number one, everyday faith. Everyday faith. Ever hear someone say, I don't believe in faith. I have to see it to believe it. How many times have we heard that in our life, huh? Yeah, well, um, no offense, but that's honestly a bunch of this. Okay? They live by faith every single day. Even the worst atheist, okay? We are surrounded, literally, by lessons in this type of faith. You can't get through a day without this kind of faith. Every single day, you will trust it, and it will influence your life. Even an atheist has to admit 
that they need this kind of faith, even if they say they don't. For instance, ever got on an airplane? Did you fly it? Did you make sure the engine was running good? You know what that's called, don't you? Yeah, that's called faith. How about when you set your alarm clock? Ever have one that didn't go off and you threw it across the room the next day? When you set that thing at night, don't you expect it to go off at the time you said? Guess what that's called? That's faith. What about when you mail a letter? Would you like to see the postman rip your letter open and take a look at it and pull that $20 bill out that you sent to your auntie and stick it in their pocket? Would you like? No. Don't you have, what is, what's it called again? You have faith that they're going to deliver it just like the agreement, right? What about when you get in your car? You know, you only have, honestly, I'm not, I'm not kidding, these aren't my statistics. Every time you start your car and drive somewhere, there is a 25% chance that you may not get where you're going. Haven't you ever seen these people that are just minding their own business, driving through an intersection and some crazy lunatic run away from the cops, busts through the intersection, takes out a car, kills a woman and three kids or a whole family or something? Well, listen... That means when you start your car and back it out of your driveway, you're living by faith. What about when you step on an elevator? How would you like to have one of them babies on the 70th floor, like one of them Honolulu hotels, and have that thing just go snap? Now, believe it or not, I had an elevator technician that was in my church, one of my trustees, and he said all the ones that are in, everything above three floors has to have what they call automatic brakes. And so as the thing falls, you're only going to go about 10 floors. Isn't that a comfort? <laughs> and the centrifugal brakes kick in and you come, to a, you come to a stop. But every time you step on an elevator, you're living by faith. What about when you sit down in a chair? I didn't see anybody test that pew when you sat down. When Mrs. Blankenship sat down, I didn't see her test that piano bench right there. And believe it or not, sometimes they do break. I had church one time in Hawaii, and we had uh, just bought our building, and we had these old, the building was 80 years old when we bought it, and the pew right up front, this front pew right up here, they came with the church, and I think the pews came over on the Mayflower. <laughs> and uh, the Delapina family came in to church, and, and it, it figures in a Baptist church, the only empty pew is up front. And so they came in and the whole family sat down right there, right in the middle of my preaching. Crack, snap, smash. The whole pew went flat to the floor. Girls' dresses flying. <laughs> it's a really good thing that Bobby and Marion Delapita had a really good sense of humor. He got up and said, Pastor, I think we need some new pews. <laughs> Turned out he was a carpenter, so he helped us to build them. We put in brand new pews. Listen, every time you sit down in a chair, you are living by faith. Faith simply means to trust something. The second kind of faith is called passive faith, okay? That's passive faith. For instance, this faith, once it's used, has fulfilled its specific purpose in the plan of God. It doesn't need to grow. It doesn't need to increase. And it can in no way be modified. It is what it is. When you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, once a lost person recognizes that Jesus saves and not good works and not religion, not church, then Jesus responds to their prayer of faith with saving faith and they're redeemed once forever.
It is a passive faith. It's once you trust it. Now, Jesus had to give everything to earn it for you. It didn't come cheap. But when you get it, it's done its work. But that's not the end of faith. As many times as faith is mentioned in the Bible, there's a whole lot more about faith than that. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, probably two verses that are memorized more than any other. For by grace are you saved through, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of, lest any man should boast. Saving faith. You get saved, it does its work. So there's living faith that we experience every day when we sit in a chair. There's saving faith, which the moment you trust Christ as your Savior, activates and gives you everlasting life. Your name is put in the Lamb's book of life. This you do not have to improve on. The work is perfect and it is sanctified and it is finished the moment you trust it. Now we come to that third time. But before we do, I just want you to get a grasp of what I mean by saving faith. Because I've honestly, I have to tell you, I've met people that I believe are more righteous than I am. They're not Christians. But I think they're more righteous than I am. I think they behave better than I do. I think many times they seem to be holier than I am. So let's talk about this. Grasping, saving faith. It's a simple concept. Think of it as a bridge. It's simple to think of faith as a bridge. Just like this. Now, have you ever walked up over a bridge and looked at it and said, I ain't walking out on that fool thing. Huh? Well, why in the world would you say that? You've obviously looked it over, huh? Okay. So you mean if you say, I have plenty of faith, this bridge will hold me up, but if it's bad wood, guess who's still going in the drink, amen? So that's what I'm talking about. So think of it as a bridge here, okay? This kind of faith only exists when it is placed in someone or something. It has to be placed in it to work. And that's called trust. That is the active element of that type of faith, is trust. You see, belief, trust, and hope are all kin. They're cousins. And we use them often interchangeably, but they're not. Belief looks at the start end of the bridge before stepping on it and sizes it up and says, I think that thing's strong enough to hold me. That's belief. Because a person can know that Jesus will save them and still not trust him as Savior. They can believe that Jesus Christ is the virgin-born Son of God and still end up in hell. Just like a person can stand beside a pool of water with his body on fire and say, I know that water will douse the flames. I know that water will save my life, but I'm going to stand right here and burn to death anyway. Just because you believe that that water will do it doesn't mean you're going to make the choice to get it done. That's belief. Then there's trust. Trust is on the bridge. Now, it's too, now you're on it. If it breaks, you're down. Okay? The hope is what we hope for on the other side. Hope I make it to the other side. Amen? Well, you will, depending on what you've trusted in. Okay? A favorable outcome for that bridge depends 100% on the strength of the bridge, not the traveler. I told Karen... Someday, if we ever get out to the Grand Canyon again, they got that thing now that's got glass floors, and you can just walk right out over, and it's just like you're walking in midair. How many of y'all like to walk out on that? Wow, 
I only see three, four volunteers in the whole room. Wouldn't that be fun? Get out. You got to really trust the bridge if you're going to walk out there. Amen. Let me just show it to you simply like this. Two bridges, okay? Side by side. Two bridges. Two guys. Two guys. Two gals. Two people. Two different ones. And guess what? They have the exact same amount of religious faith. Exact same amount. One of them puts their faith in Muhammad. Gautama, weak bridge, and one of them puts their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, guess what happens to the weak bridge? Now, he's got as much faith as the, as the other guy. Why didn't he make it? It's not based on the amount of faith. It's based on what you put the faith in. And the other guy makes it to the other side, not because of the amount of his faith, but because of what he put it in. It's just that simple. It's actually a simple concept to grasp. Same amount of faith, two different objects, two different outcomes. Because truth is, there are Buddhists that are holier than Baptists. There's Muslims that are holier than Baptists. But that don't mean they're going to go to heaven. Because they are walking on a weak bridge that's doomed to failure. No matter how much religious faith one has, if they place it in a weak object, the final result will be disastrous. That's why it's not the amount of... Why do you think Jesus Christ set a child on his lap, a child, and said, except you repent and become as this little child, you will in no wise enter the kingdom of God. It is so simple, a little kid can accept it and be saved. It's that simple. And it's passive. Once you accept it, it's done. The third type of faith, which is what we're going to focus on tonight, to be an overcomer, is active faith. If you're going to be an overcomer, this is the one you got to put to use in your life. This is the kind of faith that should be a part of our daily lifestyle, is proving faith. But this is the one that takes work. This is the tough one. Okay? This is the tough one. This is proving faith. Prove it. God says, you love me? Prove it. This kind of faith moves mountains. I'm not kidding. I've seen it. It moves mountains. This type of faith can heal a nation. This type of faith can mend relationships. This kind of faith draws a daily believer closer to God in their walk. But let me tell you something. This type of faith like a room full of exercise equipment will do you no good if you just let it sit there and look at it. Karen and I got this bright idea to go get a treadmill once. We used it probably, I think I might have used it three times. And it sat there for a year. Every morning I'd get up, it would speak to me. Today? Today? No. Please, today, finally we gave it away. T tired of the thing looking at me and talking to me. So I gave it to somebody. Told him, if you can drive your pickup over, you can have it. He came over, loaded it up, and took it away. I asked him about a month after I gave it to him. I said, how many times have you used it? He said, oh, two or three. 
I said, well, make sure you pass it on, okay? A room full of exercise equipment won't do you any good. Exercising this faith makes us overcomers. If you're going to be an overcomer, it's got to be the kind of faith that proves God. I'm going to prove that God is real. I'm going to prove that God is powerful. I'm going to prove that God cares about me. And that takes proving faith. Unfortunately, too many Christians that I have met in my 40, I've been saved, uh, this is my 50th year. On May 10th this year, I turned 50 years old. And uh, I, can, I can remember the testimony of some guy who said he'd been saved 42 years. And I remember as a 17-year-old kid who was not saved, I remember putting my head down and saying, a Jesus freak for 42 years? How do you do that? And now here I am, I've been a Jesus freak for 50 years. So yeah, you can get it done one day at a time, amen? Too many take detours. They look, isn't there an easier way? Isn't there an easier way? No. And you know what? Oftentimes when they walk along that wall and they can't find an easier way to do something, they just quit. They give up. They stop serving. When they first come to church, they sit right here. And then three months later, they're sitting back there. And then, boy, you people on the back pews got me worried. Next step is the door, amen? Brother Dick, you better watch it back there, okay? You're awful close to that door. Listen, if you're going to have an overcomer's faith, there is no detour, okay? You need a workout program for overcomers. That's what we need in our Christian life. Did you know that the Apostle James was from Missouri? It's true. Look what he said. Show me... Thy faith without thy works, and I'll show thee my faith by my works. I like him. He's from Missouri, that guy. Listen, we prepare ourselves spiritually. I mean, what did Paul say? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Paul's greatest desire in life was to get closer to Jesus. That I may know him. Well, to prepare ourselves spiritually for these things and for the things that can confront us as a Christian, and they do, uh, we have to exercise our proving faith. And sometimes that takes sweat. It's hard work. And that ain't all. Like, it's not bad enough to just be self-disciplined and try to do these things. You got other forces out there that are flat out working against you doing it. If they can lull you asleep, they will. In fact, uh, I don't know if it was a dream or what it was, but some preacher told one time how that uh, during the invitation, uh, they were singing, Jesus, uh, just as I am, without one plea. And, and uh, that guy was under deep conviction, and he was hanging on to that pew. And uh, in his heart, uh, he, the devil began to talk to him and said, you know what that preacher said is right. You know you need to be saved. Everything that preacher said, you need to just say amen to. That was right. But there's no hurry. You can do it next week. Do it later on. Boy, I'll tell you how many folks walk out. There are opposition. And the three biggest oppositions, our three mortal enemies in this world, are the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's the word of God. World, the flesh, and the devil, they're after us. They don't want you to be an overcoming Christian. They don't want you to use proving faith. They can't help the fact that you get on an airplane and the plane flies okay. Nothing wrong with that. 
They can't help that you trusted Christ as your personal Savior and you're saved forever. That can't change. But they're going to try to find a way to stop you from using that third kind of faith, the kind that will help you to grow. We are in a never-ending warfare, and the greatest Christian, apart from Christ, that's ever walked this earth, fought the same fight that we're fighting today. And he admits it. Let's go look. Romans 7. Apostle Paul, in the crown jewel epistle of all his epistles, Romans chapter number 7. This is probably the greatest Christian to walk the earth apart from Jesus Christ. And look what he says, beginning in verse number 18. For I know that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will, that is to want my own selfish way, to will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil, which I would not, I don't want to do it, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I've turned my life over to sin. I find then a law that is, uh, I, find then, I find then uh, a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Never going to go away. You're going to be in constant warfare. He said, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, in my body, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. I fight constantly this battle. Look at Galatians chapter number 5. Same apostle, same writer, chapter 5, Verse 17. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit. In other words, they have opposite desires, opposite wants. The flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would or that you want to because of this fighting, this constant battle. You could do so much more. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, these are three different things. Let me just define them a little bit for you, just a little bit. The world is material things. This is things we want to get, 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 get in this world. Okay? And I'm not stuttering, but that's how many times it happens in our life. Constantly. Oh, if I just have that new car, I'll be a better person. If I just can have that new suit coat, I'll be a better preacher. No, I gave up on that one years ago. Okay? So it's material stuff. And guess what? You ever watch, you ever watch these shows, uh, estate sales and uh, uh, these estate sales on TV and uh, uh, that, that, uh, what's that, what's that, what's that show where they appraise things? Yeah, there we go, Antiques Roadshow. And yeah, my great-grandma used to own this. Well, where's great-grandma? Oh, she's gone now. And so guess what happens? The stuff that you collect, other people are going to fight over it when you're gone. 
They're going to take it to Antiques Roadshow to see if it's got any value. Okay? It's just stuff. Then who shall those things be which thou hast laid up for many years? So that's just stuff. That's things that are in this world. Now, do we need them to live? Sure, we do. Just don't let them control you, Paul says. The love of money. Not money's the root of it. The love of money is the root of all evil, okay? We got to have some of this stuff to live. And if you're smart, you know how to invest. You know how to do things. But that's not your God. The second one is the flesh. That's, that's, that's physical. That's what's in you. That's what you want. That's food. That's David staring over the ramparts of his palace watching a naked woman bathe herself in the pool. Okay? That's something else entirely. That's not the gimme, gimme, gimme things. That's, that's something else inside. That's you yourself. That's that flesh that Paul says, I constantly am fighting in my life. And then the third one is the devil whispering in the ear. We've all seen the cartoons, haven't we? Where the angel's on this shoulder and the devil's on this shoulder. You know, and usually the devil reaches over with his pitchfork and stabs the angel and the angel flies away and then the devil gets his way in our life. That's the way it works in the cartoon world, okay? Well, I can promise you that's the way it works in a lot of folks' world too, including mine sometimes. So listen, that's just influence. And if the devil can whisper influence in your ear, he will. He'll try to guide you this way or that way. Or you don't want to do that. You don't need to do that. Let somebody else do it. You don't need to do it. These are the little influences that also will, see, will, will stop you from being an overcomer. So we have, to, we, have, we have enemies in this world. We have to learn how to be an overcomer. If you're going to learn to be an overcomer, you have to know that there's enemies. They're trying to stop you, and you've got to have a strategy for dealing with them. God wants us to be overcomers. I just read it to you. Jesus is an overcomer. You're an overcomer when you get saved. He wants it to be a part of your lifestyle, and he promises to reward you for being an overcomer in the next life. But if so, if, uh, if the fact is that God wants us to be an overcomer, well, then he's gonna, we're going to have to face things that we have to overcome. That's how you get the title, overcomer, is you have to overcome something. Many Bible characters had to grow into being overcomers. They were not overcomers automatically. They didn't wake up morning and one morning and jump out, you know, and they were wearing blue tights and a red cape with a big O here on their chest. I am super overcomer, and I can conquer everything now. No, 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 no. Not the Bible I read. I, these, these folks that we look at, men and women, have feet of clay, don't they? And they had the same fears and the same problems that we face today. Maybe they weren't high-tech, but they're just as bad as what we face today. Sometimes worse. If you're going to overcome, you've got to find a way over that wall. There's no detours. You have to face it. It's like getting in a boxing ring with a guy. Box for uh, Bravo 1st of the 11th Infantry. I was undefeated, 5-0. and oh. My last bout, the one I decided I'm never going to fight again, the guy had six inches of reach on me, and he knocked me out while I was standing up on my feet. And yes, you do see stars, just like in the cartoons. Tweet, 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 little birds. And if he'd have known that I was unconscious on my feet, he'd have finished me off. But he didn't know. My eyes were open, my fists were up, but I wasn't home. The lights were on, but no one was home. But listen, what are you going to do? Run away? Just admit defeat? Just quit? Go to your corner? No. 
I still ended up winning the bout. You don't quit. You don't run away. You don't go sit down on the stool in your corner. You stay in the fight. Let's look at just a few of them now tonight before we finish. Okay, Moses. Let's talk about Moses. We're not going to go read about it, but in Exodus number 17, God decided that he was going to be the one that was going to lead out the children of Israel. I always laugh about the burning bush. I mean, he's, he sees that burning bush, he comes up, God talks to him, he kicks his shoes off, has a conversation with God. God says, I've heard the cries of Israel. And Moses said, oh, amen. And I know that they're being persecuted and they're being punished by the taskmasters. Yeah, amen. And I'm sending you to get them out. And he went, whoa, whoa, excuse me? Now, are you overcome by doubts? Well, I'm going to tell you something. If you face doubts in your life, you're in good company. You're right in there with Gideon and John the Baptist. Because Gideon, why do you think he did the fleece thing? Because he doubted that God would really give him the victory. Do you understand how badly outnumbered we are? We had 30,000 to 100,000. That's 3 to 10. And then you cut me down uh, to 10,000. That's 10 to 1 now, God. And then you cut me down to 300 soldiers. That's 333 to 1, God. Hello? Got a calculator? So that's why he did the fleece thing. He was filled with doubts. John the Baptist sitting in prison. He sends to Jesus and he says, are you really the Messiah or should we look for somebody else? Here he is sitting there and he says, what have I given my life for? I pointed you and said, you're the Lamb of God, take away the sin of the world, but yet I'm not seeing the Romans being overthrown, the throne of David being set up. Are you him or not? Here's John the Baptist in prison and guess what? He has doubts whether Jesus Christ is really the man. So what about Moses? Are you overcome by doubts or do you overcome by faith? That's the only way you'll overcome. He leads the children of Israel out. He takes them to Rephidim. It's a desert place. There's no water. People are grumbling and griping. And Moses goes to God and says, listen to these. Do you hear these grumblers and gripers? I can't even take them off my 1040 taxes. I didn't give birth to them. Why do I got to listen to this? What are we going to do about this? God says, well, I'll take care of it. So see, how did Moses become an overcomer? How did he turn into an overcomer? Well, first of all, he believed that God would not forsake him. Had God forsaken him to that point? No. He believed God wasn't going to do it. Not only that, he remembered he just saw God reduce the most powerful nation on the planet and put the Pharaoh on his knees. If God's done it for me in the past, he'll do it for me in the present. And not only that, by proving his faith in the God of Israel. Hit that rock, Moses, and it'll bring out water. How can a little stick tapping a great big geological formation bring water out? Tap. Water came gushing out. Guess what? Moses became an overcomer, didn't he? We still know his name to this day, don't we? If he'd have told God no at the burning bush, he'd be nothing. We wouldn't even know about him. What about Ruth? In chapters 1 through 4 of the little book of Ruth, are you overcome by opposition? Even Naomi said, honey, you need to go back to your people. The Jews don't like you, okay? Moabites are not welcome in the children of Israel's camp. I just promise you, if you come with me, this is going to be bad. This is not going to end well. You need to go back home. Besides, I'm so depressed, I could care less what happens. I'm going back home so they can bury me and my family plot. 
Just go home, sis. Orpah does in the background, not Ruth. Ruth says, I'm going where you're going. Your God is going to be my God, and where you die, that's where they're going to bury me too. I'm with you. That's faith. So, but listen, did she face opposition? Oh, my goodness. As soon as she got out there, can you, can you hear the jeers and the mocking and the things? You, you stay away from us. You can't. Boaz had to tell them, you let her drink from the same water pail as everyone else because they didn't even want her touching the water pail. She faced opposition from the moment she did it. I like these sayings. First, the one by Socrates. I like that one. It says, uh, a lion doesn't concern himself with the opinions of the sheep. Huh? You're bad. You are bad. And the lion says, I don't care. Mary, little, Mary had a little lamb. <laughs> I love that, that saying. I like what Eleanor Roosevelt said. Uh, this, she said, one wouldn't worry so much about what others think of you if you realize just how seldom they actually do. <laughs> so how did Ruth become an overcomer? Well, she overcame. How did she turn into one? Well, first of all, by clinging to the promises of God. She said, your God's going to become my God. Whatever promises God made to the children of Israel are going to become mine. She claimed the promises of Israel, even though she was a Moabite. Not only that, she ignored the we don't like you crowd. Believe it or not, the lost world don't like you. They don't like you. That shouldn't shock anybody. Jesus said, if they hated me, you know they'll hate you, for the servant is not better than his master. She just ignored that crowd. And then, guess what she did? She proved her faith in the mercy of God. And guess who overcame? She became an overcomer, didn't she? What about David? Remember the big old cry, the yell, the scream, give me a man that we can fight. Now, nobody knows what Goliath sounded like. And I've said before, he could have had like a voice, give us a man so we can fight. I want to fight. I, that just doesn't fit with Goliath, amen? For some reason, I just, that, I don't think he sounded like that. That just creeps me out to even think about it. Okay. So are we overcome by threats or do we overcome by faith? Do we overcome by faith? I mean, in fact, my wife had to tell me to stop doing this, but I may visit just now. Just remember, David's a little boy. He pulls out the sword of Goliath. He didn't have a sword. He had a sling. And he pulls out that big old sword, huge sword. Never held one like that before. Now i got to take off Goliath's head. You think he got it off with one whack? i got a feeling that when he, it only went like halfway through. And then he had to, shh, shh, shh. <laughs> I don't know. I'll stop, okay? There's a whole lot of other things I love to add to that, but my wife will, I'll pay the price later for doing that. Okay. How did David turn into an overcomer? Well, first of all, he recognized there was a worthy cause. His brother said, why don't you go back and watch him cheat? And David said, is there not a cause? Every time that guy yells down there, you run and hide behind a tree. Is there not a cause? He recognized that there was a cause to stand up for. Not only that, he used his courage and common sense. He had courage to go down and face the guy, but he took five stones, didn't he? He could have taken one. 
I believe in God, I'm going to use one. No, if he'd have took ten, that's a lack of faith. If he'd have took one, that's cocky arrogance. He said, I could miss. But I'm going to have me some ammunition when I go down there. I'm going to have at least four other shots. I'm going to get this guy. Okay, well, David used not only his courage, but common sense. And not only that, guess what he did? When he walked down there, Goliath said, I'm going to feed you to the birds. And he said, no, I come to you in the name of the God of Israel. And today I'm going to feed your body to the ravens of the sky. You're a dead man. You know what the last words of Goliath were? Nothing like that ever entered my mind before. How do you like that one, huh? David became an overcomer, didn't he? Yes. Well, okay. And do you know Israel still recognizes him as such? If you go visit Israel today, go to the Knesset, which is their parliament building in Jerusalem. Right outside on the north side of the Knesset is this 25-foot-tall menorah that has gas pipes up inside, and they light it up a couple times a year for special occasions. And at the top of one of the staves, as you can see, I've blown it up there for you, is little David holding the head of Goliath over the top of him. Israel to this day has not forgotten that David was an overcomer. And if they're going to emulate their heroes, which seven of their heroes are on those posts, one of their heroes is David because he was an overcomer. How about pessimism? Are you overcome by pessimism? The widow in 1 Kings chapter number 17, she's out gathering sticks. Elijah, Elijah comes up and Elijah says, uh, go, go get me... Uh, uh, bake, uh, get me a cruise of water. Oh, by the way, bake me a little cake, will you, as you go. And she said, I'm gathering sticks to cook my last meal. Now, if I would have been that widow woman, as soon as he said, oh, by the way, bake me a cake, I'd have turned around and said, you greedy, selfish prophet, you want to take the last of my cornmeal? Didn't you hear me? Okay, but that, she wasn't me, amen. And so uh, she was pessimistic. Listen, there's lots of examples of pessimism, Amen. I mean, my daughter loves Eeyore. Okay, we might as well go. Sounds like Thomas the Apostle. Let us go with him so we can all die. You ever feel like when you open the umbrella, the only place this is raining is under the umbrella? Yeah, that's pessimism. I like what George Bernard Shaw once said. Both optimists and pessimists contribute to society. The op optimist invents the airplane, the pessimist, the parachute. <laughs> we need them both, amen? Well, how did that woman overcome? Just exactly how did she turn into an overcomer? She did it by, by faith. By faith. By showing, first of all, kindness even in the midst of stress. Here she is, she's stressed. This is my last meal, and we're going to die in the middle of this drought. We have nothing to eat. We're going to perish. But yet someone comes to her, a complete stranger, and asks for food, and what does she do? She takes the last of her food to feed the stranger. Kindness in the midst of stress. We're talking about becoming overcomers by facing the fact that she had nothing to lose. So what if I do eat the last meal or I don't eat the last meal? So what? We're all going to die. So what difference does it make? In other words, she resolved herself. It's okay if I give him the last meal. It's all right. Sometimes we sweat bullets and buckets over things that really in the scope of eternity don't mean diddly. And then she proved her faith in the God of Elijah. I'm going to do what your God 
has commanded. And we'll just see what your God's able to do. And God fed her for the remainder of the entire drought, at least another three years. That woman's bucket of meal never ceased. God took care of her. She became an overcomer by faith. What about Nehemiah? Same thing with Nehemiah. Are you overcome by responsibilities? Have they heaped responsibilities on you? I remember one day I was helping Ed Lippelman, Brother Bill's brother was my boss, at Ramey Grocery, and we were cleaning up the store in Kansas and Kearney. We were cleaning it all up, getting ready to open it up as Ramey came back into Springfield. And so we're up there, and Ed Lippelman got right in the, the case with me, scrubbing. I love that guy, man. He, didn't, he wasn't afraid to, to get his hands dirty. He got right down on his knees and was scrubbing the, the thing out right along with me. Kind of reminds me of Billy, man. That, that, that must have been a good tree those apples fell from, amen? And I can still remember that Ed, Ed came to me one day, and he said, you're to go over to a meeting that's going to be held at the Howard Johnson's uh, Motor Lodge on North Glenstone. Okay, so I go over and I ask my friend Tony Smith, who is an assistant manager or would soon be an assistant manager, I asked him, what's this about? Did, do you have any idea what this is about? He said, yeah, they're selecting um, assistant managers. And I asked Tony, I said, well, how will you know if they've selected you or not? Are they going to tell you tonight? He said, Steve, you're already going to be one or you wouldn't be here at this meeting. And all of a sudden, I went home to Karen and I said, wow, I think I just got a whole bunch more responsibility about to be put on me. Listen, if responsibilities scare you, you could be in trouble. Remember the parable Jesus gave of the pounds and the talents? One of them turned 10 into 20 and 5 into 10, and one guy just buried it in the ground and slept on it and did absolutely nothing. What do we learn from this? We learned that Jesus at least wants you to try. Don't just hide it away and do nothing. Jesus would not have been angry at the first two if they came and said, we tried, Lord, we invested, and it just lost out. It is better to light a candle than curse the darkness. Do something, even if it's a little bit. Nehemiah became an overcomer. Well, how did he do it? Well, first of all, by having deep love for God's honor. That city's a, a ruin, and I want to fix it up for not waiting for someone else to do something. I wish someone would do something. Do it. Be the person. And then guess what? He used proving faith in the sight of God and became an overcomer. Last one I want to show you tonight is Apostle Peter. I mean, he got out of that boat and he looked at the waves that were boisterous around him. He saw Jesus walking on the water in Matthew chapter number 14. A little boy one time, his mom and daddy had just moved to a town called West Deeping in England. It's just to the east, northeast of uh, London area. And uh, they moved to, west, to uh, west Deeping. And he liked to explore. And he got out and he was exploring and then he got lost. He couldn't find his way home to the new house. And so he was on the curb and he was crying. And the cops saw him. And so the cops stopped and said, son, what's wrong? He said, I'm lost. I, we just moved here and I don't know where my house is. And the policeman says, do you have an address? No, sir, I don't even know where the address is. And he, but, but he said, he said to the policeman, but if you'll take me to that church that's got that big steeple in the middle and the four little steeples on the corner, I can find my way from there. Well, I'm going to tell you what, when we get lost and we stumble and we fail and we wonder sometimes that we can't find our way back to where we ought to be, listen, 
you're never wrong to go to the cross. Amen? You'll find your way home if you go to the cross. You'll remember the way. And so Peter, uh, did, do you, are you overcome by your surroundings or do you overcome by faith? How did God turn Peter into an overcomer? Well, by first of all, desiring to experience the power of Jesus. Who else has ever walked on the water? Anyone in here? He wanted to experience the power of Jesus. And the other 11 that stayed in the boat, he ignored them. Don't, 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 go, don't pay any attention to the 11 that want to stay in the boat. Don't let them run your life. Step down out of that boat on the water. And they proved the power of the Lord Jesus, didn't he? By putting faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result, he became an overcomer. So every single one of these became overcomers. And so can you, if you want to, in the same way that those scared people did. Think about it. Moses had personal doubts. Ruth faced hard opposition. David faced deadly threats. The widow woman was filled with pessimism that she was going to die. Nehemiah had hard responsibilities to take on. And Peter faced scary surroundings. And yet Jesus made overcomers out of every one of them. And many other Bible examples there are so many that we don't have possibly time to talk about them. God made overcomers out of every one of them. Adam and Eve, Noah, Abraham, Joseph, Joshua, Rahab, Josiah, Daniel, Esther, Mary, Mark, Paul, all of them. And they all became overcomers. And they didn't jump out of a phone booth and instantly become one. They had to fight the daily fight. And they stayed in the battle. And even if the devil rung their bell and they saw stars, they stayed in the ring and they didn't quit and they became overcomers. So here's what you have to do. First, you have to ask yourself a question. What is my faith status? What kind of faith do I actually have? Do I have little like this little tiny stream? Or do I have like a deep and broad river? Or has my faith dried up because I just, I've stopped believing in the Lord Jesus Christ the way I ought to? Or is it frozen like this Wisconsin waterfall in January. I used to have faith, but it's all rock hard now. It's just frozen. You have to ask you that. So listen, may, God may have to throw a few hurdles in your pathway in order for you to grow. But listen, if he does that, just deal with them one at a time, just like somebody that's out there running the hurdles. You can't worry about the hurdle number 27. You got to deal with hurdle number one. Deal with that one and just stay in the race. Never quit. you got to develop an overcomer's faith. And to do that, you have to develop your proving faith. Not the everyday faith that makes you sit down in a pew without looking. Not the saving faith that you trusted Jesus back on whenever the date is in your life. But the proving kind of faith that says, I want God to be real in my life. I want to feel his embrace on my walk. That's going to take some work. That's going to take some proving faith. God wants you to be an overcomer.